Hi there, everybody. Welcome to episode 99 of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. We are getting very close to that magic 100th episode. I am working very hard on the book, this kind of Tools of Titans. We don't have a title yet, but working with you and and, and Ed at the magazine, at Cross Country Magazine, and it's, this is going to be fantastic. It's been really fun going through the old shows and kind of grabbing all the great nuggets from all the fantastic pilots and people we've had on the show over the last few years. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. This show is the second installment of the interviews I did right after the race with a bunch of the Red Bull X-Alps athletes. In this one, we're going to talk to Tom DeDorlado, Cody Matank, Patrick Von Cannell, Eduardo Garza, and Kriegel. Uh, so we get a really good taste of what things were like at the very uh, front of the race with Kriegel, of course, winning his sixth and all the way to the back, uh, fighting not to get eliminated with Cody. Uh, and there's some great stories here of gust fronts and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And we also get to hear some really cool thoughts from Kriegel on how the race could be more competitive, maybe a big shakeup for the 10th edition, which would be 2021. Uh, and also just how having all the turn points this time, adding all those turn points while it was a, you know, took us through some fantastic areas of the Alps and made it quite a bit less interesting, both for us as athletes and also for uh, the fans to watch. It made it so we couldn't be very creative with our routes and made it really hard to catch up. So some interesting thoughts there. Before we get to the show, I guess we've got some kind of somber housekeeping. I don't know if you'd call it housekeeping, but you know the bell curve of accidents always goes way, way up in the summer. And unfortunately, uh, this summer has been no different. There have been a ton of fatal accidents around the world and several back home in the States. And some of them are just like they always are, uh, people making uh, silly mistakes, which is just, uh, you know, a bummer. It's, you know, you've just got to make sure you check your head, you know, things like forgetting to strap in. Uh, we had a guy who jumped out of a paraglider and had forgotten to uh, have his base rig on. You know, it's just stuff that we're human. We make mistakes and it happens and it causes a lot of pain. And so we've just got to make sure that we're checking our systems and checking our head. Like Jeff Shapiro said way back in number three, this one flight that you're about to take is the most important flight of your life. Uh, the accident I want to actually talk about, though, is uh, a mutual friend of actually Jeff and I's and many, many other people that just happened in the Sierras. And, you know, we don't know all the details uh, that he was flying with a couple other people that day, but basically went into a pretty windy lee area, very, very low, where he didn't have any escape. He went into a uh, kind of a canyon without you know, he, where he really needed to climb and obviously did not get the climb. Uh, what we assume is he, he had two reserves. Uh, one was deployed when they found him. And so we assume that he had to deploy pretty low and he, he hit his SOS. Obviously probably went in real hard, hit his SOS. And, uh, but by the time search and rescue got in there, he was no longer with us. And but looking at his track logs, we were able to kind of figure out that he had made a mistake that I'm seeing over and over and over again. Uh, one is that, you know, hungry, competitive, younger or lower hour pilots are kind of trying to chase the big numbers. You know, we talked in the last show with Alex Roby about all the benefits of X contest and there are a ton. Um, but one of the things it does is, you know, it turns what we do a lot more into numbers and you start trying to go for scores and go for big distance. And there are huge risks involved with that, of course. And 
I think a lot of people, you know, Jeff and I talked about this one accident in, in detail in the last few days. And you know, what he's seeing is, is a lot of lower outer hour pilots that have a shitload of talent, you know, men and women that have a ton of talent that are confusing uh, luck with skill. You know, so it's my, my analogy is like backcountry skiing. You know, when you go out backcountry skiing and you've got a really kind of sketchy avalanche hazard, you know, slab problem or something, and you you don't really ski you ski something probably a little bit more dicey than you should on on a particular day and it doesn't go and you get back down to the car and you think you've made really good decision making in the backcountry and really you were one percent safe at, and 99 percent super dangerous it was right on the edge of going and you know you could have put a bunch of people in an avalanche and you got out and you don't really get the feedback from that and we've got the same thing in flying. You know, if you if you take a deep line and it works out, then you take another deep line and it works out and you keep doing it, you, you think you're getting better when really you're just getting lucky. Um, you know, so if you're, you know, a pilot that's at 500 hours, you need to be realistic and understand that you're still a total puppy. If you're at a thousand hours, you know, you might, ju you're just starting to figure it out. And to emulate pilots who have thousands of hours, you know, the Kriegels and the Russ Ogdens and people that have done so much SIV and so many hours and, you know, chase them and, and, and go into these areas where there's, there isn't any margin, you're asking for trouble. You know, you haven't built up the foundation, you don't have the skills to take a collapse low. and. But mostly it's just totally unnecessary. This is what makes me really sad about this. And I, I see a lot of pilots doing this is that they, you know, because it's the most logical and kind of easy place to be is right on the terrain. You know, there's going to be thermals there. It's also way messier there and you don't have any margin, but mostly you don't need to be there. You know, you can be way out front, use a lot more bar, fly a lot faster uh, and straighter, but you're also, if something goes wrong, you've got a lot more margin. So, you know, usually out front, it's not always the best line, but most of the time out front, it's, it's a place where uh, thermals have gotten a lot more time to kind of gel and get nice and get a lot smoother and they're not so sharp. You know, when you're right on the terrain, it's like flying in the flatlands right off the deck in a dust devil. You know, they, they hasn't, the thermal hasn't had time to really gel and get nice. None of us flying like flying in air like that. So, um, yeah, this was really a bummer because uh, this pilot really didn't need to be where he was. Now he was in the Sierras and, you know, you're getting pretty tall out in the Sierras. So hypoxia could have been a factor. A lot of things could have been a factor. But, you know, like Jeff said, uh, and like you've heard Nick Grease say on the show, fly the day and not your desire. And like Jeff said, you know, no line is worth not coming home from, you know, that's not a sustainable way to fly where you're going into a place and you're, you're thinking about using your parachute as the only way out rather than a last resort. So, um, just a warning to everybody to fly at your skill level, the experience and the knowledge and the hours will come. You can't rush it. Uh, you, you, don't it's just you don't need to be competitive uh when you're when you're learning and the learning in this sport takes a lifetime and i go back to alex roby again we heard about how he's doing these monster flights by flying on perfect days he's taking very very little risk he's flying days that aren't gonna od that don't have a lot of wind 
they're perfect days. And like Santa Croce said in, in his podcast, the good days will come. There's no reason to go out and push on the hard days. And so it's just just a warning. Uh, you know, I see a lot of pilots jumping up to a much more spanny, uh, more demanding wing way too early and pushing it way too early when they haven't built up the foundation. Be honest with yourself. Emulate the pilots who don't have accidents, who uh, come home every day and are having the most fun. That's what this podcast is all about. And I also want to own up to something that Jeff pointed out was that often on this show, uh, myself included, and some of the pilots that I've uh, had on the show kind of glorify that deep line, but know that that comes from thousands and thousands of hours of practice and training. And, you know, a lot of the people I have on the show, like the show today, are ex-ops pilots. These are some of the best pilots in the world. So they know the risk. They understand uh, the hazards. They know how to get out of bad places. They've got the experience. And that experience is often gained from making mistakes. And we've all gotten lucky that, we, you know, we've had... We haven't had a lot of consequences. They've been inconsequential mistakes where we go, wow, that was really close. But remember, this one flight is the most important flight you're going to take. So keep it safe out there, everybody. Uh, I, I know we hammer safety a lot on this on this show, but like I said, there's been a lot of accidents and it's been uh, it's been rough on, on on families and friends and it's been rough on the community. So let's stay safe. Let's get into this show. Uh, Tom DeDorlado, Cody, Patrick, Eduardo, Kriegel, some fantastic stuff here. Uh, we're going to start it off with Tom, who this was his seventh X-Alps, but his first time to make it into Monaco. He was the last one in. He clearly really, really upped his game. He and I were racing uh, pretty close to one another for most of the race uh, until I kind of faltered day eight. But he had a great race and brought in a professional trainer and just totally changed his approach this year, changed his team. So we're going to hear about how all that went. Here's some great stories from Cody, who was having an epic battle at the back, uh, but made it a long ways and had a great race. Uh, Patrick, Van Von Cannell, who of course we we knew where, where he was going to do well. We had a great talk with him on the podcast before before the race. Uh, so we get to hear about some of the battles that he went through. Eduardo Garza, who had a terrific race, another rookie in this lineup. Uh, he was kind of right in the middle of the pack. He was chasing hard. He was uh, really tenacious. Had a fantastic time as well. And so you'll hear kind of the joy that he had in this race. And then the always amazing Kriegel. Enjoy. Tom, welcome to the show. I uh, it's it's so awesome to talk to you. I I'm sorry I missed you guys in Monaco. I just I didn't want to deal with that heat after dealing with so much heat. I wanted to stay in the mountains. So <laughs> I imagine uh, I watched the some of the party online. But uh, first off, dude, congratulations, seventh time, uh, and 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 you you got to Monaco and you did it in style, man. This was a hard race. I found I found the pace was just unbelievable and. Uh, I was quite close to you a couple times, but then I had a pretty bad day, day eight, and really lost you as you guys made it into Chamonix that day. But uh, you just did mm. a phenomenally good race. So my my first question for you is, uh, you know, obviously you, you, you're very practiced at this. You've been doing this a long time, but something in your game was different this year. And I'd, I'd love to hear what it was because you were, you were really yeah. on form. 
Yeah, I think it'll, well, thanks very much for, I mean, it was, it was, um, I'm super happy to be on the show again and, uh, and to share a little bit of my experience with, uh, with everyone. Um, yeah, this, of course, something changed. I think, uh, you know, I've done the race, uh, six times before and, uh, and I knew I was coming back. Um, you know, when I actually two years ago, I thought that I'm never going to do it again. That's it. Uh, I leave it here. And then, um, this year we had a baby and I thought this is the perfect timing to just, uh, stay home a little bit, focus on training and, uh, spend some months in the Alps. And, you know, for the last, uh, 10 years, a little bit like you, you know, I've been traveling everywhere around the world and the Exalt was one of my adventure, but was, I, I never totally focused on it like I should have. Mm. Um, and so every time I was a little bit short, you know, a little bit short, uh, not far from Monaco, not far from a good position, but never quite made it. And, um, and this time I really uh, changed everything. I, I trained professionally uh, with a, a professional trainer. Um, I really worked on the gear. I spent a lot of time in the Alps, and I think this is key. Um, mm-hmm. Spent uh, two months in the Alps with my van, traveling around and checking the route, checking the turn points. Then I trained with Paul Gishelbauer, um, hiking and flying quite a lot. Um, and, and yeah, I think it all came together, you know, mm. uh, this time it, it kind of worked. And as you know, also, you kind of need a little bit of luck. Um, you need to be at the right place at the right time and, and take the opportunities. And uh, because I've, I've had other races where I think I was um, strong and ready, but uh, one day and one mistake can make a whole difference. Yeah. So um, this time I was in the right place at the right moment with the right people, I think, and uh, flying in teams at the beginning and finding my way. Um, and then, yeah, it worked out. I actually even was hoping to get a better result because I was playing fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, and, and yeah. in there. But then at the end, what was really important for me was to get to Monaco. So the last two days, I was flying a little bit more conservative, uh, trying to get everything out of the flights and really get to Monaco instead of really fighting for a position because my dream was really to make it to Monaco. So, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. And yeah, you know, it was, I had those last days were so stable. I had plenty of time to walk and, and watch tracking and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, my, my mistake day eight really, really cost me cause I got stuck in the, on the Iger side and, and I, I couldn't chase you guys into, into Chamonix. And it was pretty clear that, you know, that, that Monaco was no longer in the cards. So I had some time to watch and man, there was a heck of a battle going on. I mean, really actually at the end, it was even for third and fourth, you know, cause Patrick really reeled yeah. in uh, Benoit and, and, and Paul there that, that whatever day 10. And, but you guys were having a heck of a battle around Monteviso and Cheval Blanc. It was awesome to watch. Yeah. It was, it was super interesting because you you could see it. I mean, every every two years, the level goes up a little bit, you know, yeah. and people come and they are better prepared and everyone is fast. And so I would say that, uh, I mean, Kriegel somehow, and I said it already, is, is, is from another league. Yeah, it's is somewhere else. He's above, yeah. you know. But yeah. but then uh, from there, you know, like if you look at uh, uh, Paul um, Benoit and all the other guys, it was it, everyone, we were always fighting together. One would go in front and then another one. And then depending on if you had a good day or if you catch the, that last term of the day, you would get in front. But um, it was so intense. And, and um, after Chamonix, the, the day um, you didn't make it across uh, near, and you stayed near the Eger, we had a really hard time fighting with stability. And then we got to, to, um, to Chamonix with Gaspar. 
And I was lucky to be flying with Gaspar at that point because yeah. he knows all the area super, you know, he, he knows exactly what to do. So, um, and the next day I could catch up with, uh, with Patrick. And so we were there, um, in front of the whole crew and fighting kind of for fifth position, you know, mm -hmm. and, and really thinking, okay, there's something now it's, it's happening, you know, three days before the end, it's kind of really good place to be. But, but then this eat, uh, killed us you know and arriving in saint hilaire i walked 40k straight in 37 degrees i was i was you know Cooked. destroyed and Cooked. and then the next day i started making mistakes and I, I really think at some stage i was pushing 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 so much the whole race i never really took the time to set back and say hey now i need a bit of rest so i can fly better tomorrow or i can be smarter um you know i i think at some stage i should have you know, slow down, slow down a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't. And yeah. uh, and that's where I hit the wall at some stage. I, I was just too tired and, and I started making mistakes during the flight. Uh, when I arrived in Monteviso, I was not sure that I did a, uh, the cylinder. So I started to hesitate, went back, you know, this kind of stupid mistakes you only do because you're tired. Yeah. But it's interesting to see that after 1,200 kilometer, um, to, to see that uh, we all get there more or less at the same time, you know, it's yeah. quite uh, quite crazy. Six, it's... seven pilots at the same time, um, and I was I told Gaspar. I remember I, I said to Gaspar, uh, "You'll see, Gavin will be with us <laughs> there tomorrow." So because yeah. we were already thinking, okay, uh, the top ten is almost secured, uh, but then you realize, like some of the guys in the back, they're they're incredible pilots. They've done Monaco before. And, uh, so anything can happen in this race. Huh? As you can see, it's like, yeah, a, I just, but the, I think this time people were flying so fast also. The like, pace uh, was just, I, 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 I just was, was blown away. You know, like it, it had, you know, in 2015, I made mistakes that like cost me almost a whole day and you could keep, you know, you could still be in the race, you know, in this race, yeah. you're done. That it's, you're just over, you know, it was, it was incredible yeah. just how fast, even on the, in those middle days where there was no thermals, it was just rain and thunderstorms and, you know, but everybody kept moving, you know, it was just really still yeah. very fast. Everybody's out the door at five and done at 1030. And, and it was True. really, really phenomenal. I, I, I'm very impressed with what, what's happening with the level. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in in two years also, and see see how. I mean, it it all depends on the weather, and I think this year was so intense. The first three four days uh, with good flying weather and big big mm. distance mm. flown, and uh, but um for me, what really also changed this year is my uh, my attitude. Mm. You know, like before, I used to. I remember in the race before, if I made a big mistake. I kind of couldn't go over it, you know, like it was like a, a negative and oh shit, I made a mistake and uh, this is not going to work. And, and this time, even in big stability, when I landed down and thinking, okay, now I have to go back up and everyone is passing, flying above me. Um, I was, I don't know how, but really positive all the mm -hmm. time. Like I, I could really stay smiling and laughing and having fun and not take it too seriously. And I think that was a game changer. To really did stay you, positive and have an attitude of uh, just okay, no, no big deal. Let's keep going. Let's what, stay positive. Was Let's, that uh, a conscious decision yeah. before the race started, or was that something that just you know age and having a baby and just maybe you're just different? Uh, it's probably a little bit of uh, both. You know, in mm -hmm. one side, I knew this is something I had to work on. 
Um, and also this year I changed my team. So I, I, I took a different team that I used to be to, to have a different vibe, you know, and to start from scratch. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the team that I had was always great. And I was always happy to share those moments with my friends and stuff. But this time I really build a team thinking, okay, what do I need? Who do I need? Uh, what kind of profiles? Who is going to work with me, you know, and, and who is going to be wise enough to understand how I work and I really work on the team. Um, and then, and then I knew I had to work on myself. You know, I, I knew I had to change my attitude and also, uh, it, it goes, I was having this discussion with Paul, uh, Paul Gishelbauer before the race. And he, he said, uh, it was his, his uh, way of, um, of, of thinking, but he said, um, now I have to think that it's possible to win. I have to come for sure. the win because sure. if I don't come for the win, then I, then there's no need to come. I mean, it's, and I, and I won't give my best if I'm happy with the second or third place, you know? Yeah. So, and then I, it kind of changed something in me also. I thought this is true. Um, I, I have to come for Monaco, you know, and I have to come for, to give my best and I, I'm not just coming to participate and I'm not going to be. Uh, satisfied if I just, and, and so I really, it's kind of changed my mindset and, uh, and physically, I think I was so much better prepared than before. So I didn't suffer so much. I was enjoying much more. Um, uh, I, I like that, that you got a professional a lot trainer, you know, that I've, I've had that for all three and in Ben, you, you know, Ben, and he's my supporter in the race as well, yeah. but it's just, yeah. man, it makes all the difference. Cause that's one thing you can shelve. Totally. That's one thing you don't have to think about anymore. You know, you know, you're going to be ready. You just got to do the work. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, uh, what was your best day and what was your worst day? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think my, my best day was the last day because, you know, I was, I woke up and it was, I, I was still 155 Ks from Monaco and really it wasn't clear that I was going to make it. You know, I, I wasn't sure they, they were saying that the day was going to be amazing, but, um, it was not clear. And so I, I climbed to the top, um, for a glide down to reach Simon and then climbed again and, and was on takeoff with Simon. And actually the day wasn't that good. We had strong, uh, so, uh, west wind, northwest wind, and, uh, and it was destroying the thermals. The first thermal I got was amazing. I thought this is going to be easy. It was, I went up to 3,800 meters and thought, this is it. We're, we're getting to Monaco. And then after that, nothing, 2002, 2003, fighting against the wind. And it was really a struggle to get to Monaco. So when I landed 40k away from Monaco, I opened my cell phone, like I checked my GPS and I, I said, okay, this is going to be a long walk, but I'm going to make it. I was so happy about it. Mm. Um, really super stoked. But, um, so I think that maybe it was the best, the best day because I, I would have been, I have to be honest with you. I would have been very frustrated if I didn't make it to Monaco this time because I, I never did it, you know? And, uh, so for me, it was really, it was important. It, it got sure. personal. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I had to finish this. Um, so it was really, really good day, but I, altogether also the day of, uh, Kornplatz, um, when I landed on top of Kornplatz, I got lucky. I, I, I was one of the first to land on top. And so I could catch up with the guys who landed a little bit lower and had to uh, climb, uh, hike up to, to the top to sign. Mm. I really landed one meter from the sign board, signed and took off again. And so I was flying with Benoit, with Paul, um, from three to six, seven, we were all there mm. and, uh, like four or five pilots and they were flying fast and, 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 and it was really good to be flying with the group because, you know, a group of five uh, talented pilots, we went really fast. And I remember looking back and seeing that the conditions were oh, getting worse and getting worse and worse, worse and thinking, okay, 
for us it was good you know we were kind of closing the doors behind be, the door behind us you know so yeah. uh, i remember thinking oh, this is not going to be easy for those who follow and and it was just a matter of maybe an hour a difference you know sure. but we could escape in front and that was a really good day but then i made that mistake in innsbruck and i made me land and then uh, the next day i could catch up but yeah i mean it's when you look at the race um uh, 10 days later you see how many mistakes you made and what could have been better and stuff but at the end of the day you know we all did our best and uh and and you play with what you have tom you've done it seven times now you made monaco um i'm sure you've got some really good advice for for you know someone thinking about doing the xops that's never done it again what would be you know, like the one precious piece of advice you would give them you know if they're thinking about doing it what would you what would you pass on to them yeah, I think, you know, um, well, I think the, the most important is to just spend as much time as possible in mountains. And I, and I do think that it's really a mental game, this whole thing, you know, and that's why people like, like you and, and uh, people who do a lot of adventures and, and they go out and they spend time in difficult conditions and stuff, they do they can cope with it. You know, they mm -hmm. can cope with the stress, with the mental, uh, you know, game and stuff. You know, if some people would say, oh, just go spend some time and do some comps and, and fly long distance. I don't think this is the, the best advice. I think really what is the best is to take your backpack to go with your glider and get lost in the mountains and spend days hiking, mm -hmm. flying, make some, you know, volume and in difficult conditions and sleep outside and, you know, get hurt a little bit. You know? mm -hmm. But, but I, I really do think that when you, when it comes to the race, then you feel confident on there. Um, the, the, the physical challenge is still there, but mentally you can cope with it. I think that, uh, and I think what you, what you need is experience at the end. So experience, you only get it by practicing. You have to spend a lot of time out there. You know who I think of when you say that is Nick Nainens. You know, I think that's kind of yeah. all he does. He travels the world and he, and he does it out of a shoelace and, and he, and he just bivvies everywhere <laughs> he goes. You know, he's been in so many mountain ranges and, uh, and, you know, even in this race, he had a really bad start and he was way off the back. And I kept telling my team, just don't count him out. He'll catch up. He'll, he always does, you know, he'll just keep moving yeah. and he'll do it with a smile and like nothing really phases him, you know, he's always just, yeah, true. just chomping along. And yeah, no, that, that's really good advice. I, I, I like that. Um, what's the most critical or vital support you receive from your, your team? this could be a one case scenario or just overall like oh my god i couldn't do it because of this um yeah well i think you know it was interesting when we crossed for example the um, to the rhone we had to go above glacier um and i, and I think for me i mean it's uh, like you i spend a lot of time in the high mountains in pakistan and stuff so i feel very confident but i was really happy to have someone um with me you know being on the rope um and just just didn't have to think about it, you know, and I have, I had two really strong guys in my team that were sometimes hiking in front of me, helping me carrying water and extra, extra stuff, food or a little bit of electronics and stuff. And that really helped to have those, those guys really positive mindsets, uh, motivated, smiling, the good joke, you know, the good moments. Um, and I, I think really that that was the game changer this time. It was the, the attitude of the team. Mm. More than really something that they did, but the the whole positive attitude and and for example, and I speak about the the moment when we crossed to the to the road and we had to go above the Petersgrad glacier, 
uh, 3,200 meter. Um, we went to the hut. We had really bad weather, but but we did everything like kind of a, having fun, enjoying, laughing about it. Uh, you know, not taking it too seriously. And, and I think the attitude really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, they could really cultivate this positive altitude the whole way. I think that's that's the best. That's really where they were great at. Yeah. Tom, the, the final question is just uh, what fan experience or locals experience along the way, you know, because people come out and do the, the most wonderful things for us. What was the one that really stood out? Um, that's a good, uh, good question. Um, you know, I, not this time, but I remember from the last editions, and I, I think this is a good story. Um, there's a woman that's, um, in two, back in 2009, I think, uh, she was, I met her in front of her door, uh, on the way from Martigny to Mont Blanc to Chamonix. And, uh, the path goes just in front of her door and she, she came out, you know, what do you do there and here and blah, blah, blah. And she offered me some iced tea, uh, like really homemade, uh, mm. uh, you know, lemon and ginger and, and <laughs> really good. And, and then two years later in 2011, I came again. And there she was waiting no <laughs> with, uh, with uh, following a life tracking and waiting <laughs> at the same spot, uh, you know, and hey, here I, uh, here I am again. And this year, she sent me a message saying, hey, uh, if you land in Martini, your, your ISD will be waiting for you. And I flew <laughs> above it. So I sent a message, <laughs> not this time, but thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, anyway, you know, and uh, it, I think it's, uh, it's cool. You see that the more and more people are following the race and, uh, and trying to help. And this is really... So really cool. And also I saw a lot of solidarity between the teams and I really appreciate that we can keep a very uh, good spirit and, uh, you know, fair play and, and people helping each other, you know, even if it's not your, your team. So uh, uh, Simon's team has been helping us, uh, Gaspar Petiot, every time I, I would meet them, they would propose some water or something to drink, something to eat. So we, we could really cultivate between the team. Uh, the team's a really cool atmosphere and I think this is important also for the spirit of the race. So really appreciate that. Couldn't agree more. Tom, uh, always such a pleasure, man. And I, I wish you and your family well. I know you're, you've got some great adventures planned on the boat. I hope to see you out in Sao Miguel here in August at the festival. A uh, little plug for them. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. And uh, That'll be nice. Congratulations, man. Really, from the bottom of my heart, it was just awesome to watch. And I was so happy for you. And I, when I was at Cold de Lazard and saw you walk in, I was just thrilled for you, man. So congratulations again and on a, on just Thanks, an man. epic race you really kept it together the whole time and that was that was that was really fun to watch and uh you're you were in a in a troop of incredible pilots there and i was i was happy to see you guys make it so yeah job well done thank you and thank you appreciate it. and i hope uh yeah i hope i can come to the state soon and and get some flying down with you there. Yeah, for or sure. Uh, and some ski touring in the winter. Don't miss something. the winter. It's, it's that special. Would be nice. You would love yeah. it. You would love it. Cody Matank, Team USA 3. He and I spent quite a bit of time together, as, it, as we did with Willie, who we'll hear from later. And the run-up to this race, did some training together uh, about the week before the, the pre-race week. Uh, had some really interesting uh, stories and epics and uh, some tough early days, uh, and but held it together. Uh, their team had a lot of fun, and I think you're going to enjoy this talk.
Cody, thanks for so much for coming All on right. the uh, mayhem, man. It's uh, it's good to hear your voice. I know you're out at U.S. Nationals already, uh, moving on to to new things. Um, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how you're feeling. Sounds like you're feeling pretty recovered after the uh, the long slog through the Alps. But uh, congratulations on your first X Alps. I know it was a big battle there at, at the back for a while, and uh, you got you had some pretty hard days, especially the one looked like leaving Kronplatz, but. Uh, you know, it's still an epic adventure and, and, uh, yeah, man, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. A lot of hard days. I don't even know where to start with all those. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> Lots of, lots of stories there, lots of mistakes, um, but a lot of really good flights too. So yeah, it was an adventure, definitely an experience that I wouldn't trade and, um, glad I did it in the end. So this was the sketchy. Maybe you're going to ask what the sketchiest part was. This is the sketchiest part of the whole race for us. I think we we waited till one thunderstorm passed, um, and uh, you know our plan now is to is to still try to just either start hiking um, up the Brenner towards Innsbruck um, or try to fly. And so um, you know we we hiked up to a to a launch and we waited for one thunderstorm to pass, and they seemed to be sort of tracking. Uh, more to our to our northeast and and not coming up the Brenner where we were at and so we waited we saw two of them do that same thing on that pattern and we thought okay we're, we're probably safe and um so we had we got the sun popped for a little bit and we we launched we had a, a, some thermals um going off on this ridge we were on flew to the end of the ridge so we're flying into the Brenner now and uh took a light thermal and we're sitting in this thermal and I'm watching this this next a thunderstorm moving towards us, just slowly tracking towards us. And, and it's coming right up the Brenner Pass at this point. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to get as much height as I can just to get over and into the pass and find a place to land. Um, so we, we, we left that thermal, started going into the Brenner, um, got fairly low and then picked up um, this really, really broken lift. Initially, I'm thinking it's a thermal and I'm like, yeah, maybe I can actually get up a little bit further and, and, and maybe make light to the uh to that airspace save myself yeah save myself a little bit of hiking um and and as i started taking this up i was actually um so brian my supporter was uh, just behind me and he came in um, below me at that point and landed um and uh and i i you know tried to take the th- this thermal up up too high i was really getting higher than i should have at that point realizing then that it was yeah it was like, it was a gust front it was in a gust front it was actually this thunderstorm was sucking so it was actually Oof. pulling um from from innsbruck like the direction of innsbruck it was pulling all of this air up the brenner pass and um within within a matter of a minute or so now i'm in winds that are gusting to uh to 30 35 miles an hour Oof. and i'm in this really tight spot there's there's power lines everywhere and you know there's there's that gorge and the brenner pass um and yeah i had a backwards landing um pretty sketchy Uh. (laughs) pretty sketchy when i finally got on the ground turned around and this this thunderstorm was just it was massive and and uh yeah really strong winds and within maybe 10 minutes or so um that's that had stopped 
in the winds switch direction and then ramped up to just you know the same speed that was the gust that that was now coming through <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was dicey gnarly. you, you put was, up that was definitely the sketchiest part you put up this funny video of right around then on 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 Facebook. I didn't get to see it. Uh, ben and Revis told me about it, but you were like, kind of like uh, tired. Obviously, you were like, "Man, I feel like I'm in this terrible feedback loop where you know I, I make the same mistake over and over again because I'm, I get rushed and I try to you know I try to make moves and then I screw it up because I'm rushing and then I rush harder because I screw it up. <laughs> it, sounded, yeah. it sounded like I know uh, everybody's I, yeah everybody. I've been talking of people here and they're all just like they, they're like oh, i watched the video and i just felt so bad for you yeah <laughs> i went back through and watched those again and i'm like i i i definitely was coming off maybe a little more depressed or uh i don't know fatigued than i really was but i i certainly was feeling that i was feeling like i was in this positive feedback loop <laughs> where um, i was making these bad decisions and then that would put me on the ground and then i would just you know i would be even more fatigued and then make another bad decision and just couldn't seem to get out of that. Yeah. The, the guys that did really well too, they, they talked about, uh, you know, how much, how much this race is a thinking thing. I mean, it's, that's the number one thing. I mean, do you, everybody sees on live tracking that it's the, you know, it's the physical and it's the strategy and it's the, you know, it's the instruments. I mean, there's all the things that go into it, but it, 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 the number one is like, you just gotta think, you know, you really, and it's hard to think when you're tired, you know, it's that, that really is what there, it yeah, is. You know? that, your patience. That's, that's what I've yeah. found is that, because I, I had fallen behind, I was so far behind. And like you said, when we were, before we start recording, it's like, if you, if you fall behind, um, it's almost impossible to like, to, to catch up, you know, mm -hmm. you land midday and you lose a hundred K on everybody. Uh, it's, it, you start thinking about it and you're like, there's just really no way I can catch up unless they make a huge mistake as well, which they're not likely to do. Right. So I have to now get like really creative and I got to take a new line or I've got to, really fly fast you know i've got to yeah. make up the time in the air and and then so that i was trying to do that i was trying to fly fast um trying to make up that that 100 150k and um uh, i you know without the patience that i needed uh with you know like running low being fatigued whatever i was just yeah couldn't couldn't pull it off so and then <laughs> i just landed again and again <laughs> and uh and then we found ourselves in in that situation where it's like wow we're gonna get eliminated if we if if i don't pull off a big flight here we're we're in the elimination zone um you know in in four days we're gonna get eliminated it wasn't right then we were never right on the chopping block but we were thinking in terms of you know finishing the race that was the that was the primary goal was to do the full 12 days knowing now what you know uh if you could rewind the clock uh, and change anything about your preparation what would it be yeah i was i was really surprised that physically i was i was fine i was totally fine it was um yeah like the the uh, the doc was coming around and checking people out he, he checked out my feet and he's like wow your feet are, are perfect you know like doesn't even look like you've been hiking on them um and that was i owe that to a lot of uh, the advice that you gave me to bring a um, another, uh, shoe that was a size bigger. Mm. And I, when you told me that I was like, yeah, oh, there's, I just can't even imagine my feet swelling an entire size. And, and I almost didn't do it. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'll bring, I'll bring one pair that's, that's one full size bigger. 
And that was key. I, I ended up actually using that, that bigger size, um, anytime I was doing the long pavement hikes, cause that's when my feet would swell. And, um, I ended up being just fine. So I, I had, I, during training, I realized that the, the toe socks were the best option to prevent blisters. Mm. And then also this, uh, this running, um, loop that you, um, put on your feet to kind of help with friction and, and, um, yeah, the combination of those, those things, um, I had, I had no blisters at all and no problems at all with my feet. Mm. Um, awesome. and the physical side too, man, I just, I surprised myself cause I thought that was going to be, I thought flying, I was going to be able to, you know, hold my own and, and, uh, but I was really worried about the physical side cause I had never done anything of that magnitude, you know, um, every day pushing it that hard. I mean, there was, there was that, that day that we, um, hiked Titlis, that was a, um, a 15,000 foot vert day. Yep. Um, and then, and, and we, I, we did, so I, basically I did the, I did about the same stats as, as Kriegel did, <laughs> except where I only made it to Chamonix. <laughs> so so I, I basically was, I was going way off course and I was turning a lot of circles. <laughs> so... What about, what about other aspects of the race that, that, I mean, nutrition's huge, but what about like, you know, when you, when you say like you, you started to hit your stride, um, you know, could you have hit that earlier if you had, if you had known X, you know, like what, what was the, what was the thing that was like, uh, you know, whether team or mapping or instruments or, you know, what, what was something that was like, man, I wish I had done more preparation for that. I, I, I think if I, I think it was, um, it was a combination of a lot of things, but it was mainly that I, I just, if I had had a month or two flying in that area, um, mm. cause I, that was the first time I'd ever really seen any of those, any of those lines from the air. And so I think if I had at least had a few flights, I would have started to feel more comfortable, um, flying, flying those lines. Um, yeah. Cause like I said, right off the bat, our, our, our mistake that set us set us back was just not not knowing what launch to be at. Mm. Um, I think if if we had been if we had known that area around the grind a little bit better and knew that 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 the launch um, you know actually to the north was the one to be at that morning, um, then that could have changed completely changed the race for us. It was th- th- this one was interesting for me because the you know in 2015 you know the we made a ton of mistakes, you know, just like you did early on and, and, you know, came out of the, we, we had a great start, but then some really bad days went way back. And, but because we had these long distances between turn points, I had, I had a really magic day, day eight that just pole vaulted me from, I don't know, 18th to seventh. And, uh, and, you know, we got to Monaco and, and I, I think that skewed my reality of, of what it is. I was like, you know, convinced that, wow, with, I mean, I, I got, I got eighth in my first X Alps, you know, it went really well. And I thought, Oh God, if I, if I really train and, and fly a lot in the next few years, like I, I could really be competitive here. And what I underestimated, I guess my answer to that first question underestimated was just how good everybody's getting. There, there were a number of times in this race, even where lack of no, local knowledge really hosed me. It really, you know, it really, like if I had just known how, you know, A, B and Z works coming into this valley system 
like the guys that are ahead of me do, you know, then I wouldn't be on the ground, exactly. you know, and yeah. I, that's just, no, exa- exactly. It's, it's, a, it's amazing how much that makes the difference. Um, cause that, and that's, that's what I was talking about that day that, that I had I'd flown, um, in the evening I launched and I was flying just past Murin. I, I, we had been in that area. That was the only area we'd really actually, um, uh, did some recon on. Yeah. Um, cause we, we flew into, um, Geneva and then, uh, drove through there and got a couple of little flights in that area. And so I knew, I knew that Neeson was the place to be the, for the next morning. And, um, so I, I knew I had to get there. So I, I, you know, I, I, I could see I needed the side hill here and then we could, um, hike up and then get a morning sledder down and then hike and, and be, um, you know, ready for, um, you know, be at the top of Neeson by nine thirty, ten thirty and um and be ready for the day and if i had known that's those sort of things in all the other areas yeah um totally different it would have really helped us but yeah yeah but that and that was so those were the big mistakes that that i made is just we didn't know where to be we didn't know where um where to actually be for a good um you know to for a good start for that day yeah um and yeah that's that just that just takes you know, flying that area and knowing that area. Um, but it's, yeah, like you said, living there would definitely help. But I think even just training there for a season or two, um, would be really useful as well. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, going into this too, I didn't, I was, I had no, no dreams of, of beating Kriegel. (laughs) That was not even, (laughs) I didn't even entertain that idea. We, I, 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 all I was hoping for, because I honestly, I didn't know that I could even survive it physically. I was just hoping to, um, to be middle of the pack. That was, that would have been a really good scenario for me. Mm. And I was hoping to, um, to just, just survive the full 12 days and to, um, to get past Mount Blanc. Um, turns out that, you know, I did survive the, the full 12 days and we got to Mount Blanc, um, it just happened that, um, you know, actually everybody was so freaking good and so fast that we, we did that, but we were still at the very back. No, uh, uh, you, there's, there's no redeeming needed, man. You just competed in, in the hardest thing there is. And in, in my opinion, I mean, I know there's a lot of hard races out there, but, uh, you did great, man. You crushed and, uh, you did have some epic days at the end. I was watching closely and cheering you guys on. So, uh, but Cody, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, and I wish you well there at us nationals. I hope you guys get some good days ahead and, uh, can't wait to fly with you again and just get back to what we do which is uh flying in the rockies and trying to go big so um but appreciate it man and and again congratulations okay and next up we have patrick von cannell uh his mentors are kriegel and kriegel's brother mikhail i always i've always said michael but i think it's mikhail and uh he's a test pilot for advanced you've heard him on the show he's big he's strong he's an amazing pilot he and i flew pretty much all day together day two and then uh, launched together in Ashow and made some good distance uh, that evening. He's a terrific athlete. He, did, he had an amazing race. I wasn't able to reel him in there at the end, but he came in. He came in eighth place, I believe, and uh, just an awesome first effort. It's going to be really exciting to watch him in the future. So enjoy this talk with Patrick. Yeah, the, the fan thing is neat. That's really cool. Yeah. People come out and give you food and fruit and yeah, water exactly. and yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Maybe 
one situation was very special um, with the weather in the beginning was really nice. And then there was three days uh, in Switzerland where the weather was uh, quite bad. It was flyable, but, but not thermals. Mm-hmm. And, but then we saw, or I think for everybody was the same. We saw that, uh, a good window is coming, nice weather is coming after these three days. So I was really looking forward um, to to the nice weather. And then finally we had this nice weather, but it was so stable, no thermals. Um, we left Switzerland and it was really, really stable. And we couldn't manage uh, distance. So this was really hard for me for the mind mm. to to push forward because yeah it was nice weather and uh, it was looks it was looking very good and then i was thinking all the time ah maybe the the others in uh, in front or in the back of me can fly and then i, I can fly so this was very stressful. hard for yeah stressful for for my mind and this one I didn't expect it uh, so much that that uh, it's so stressful. Yeah, I I really struggled with those last three days with the stability. I, it was it was like mm. incomprehensible almost. I, I'd never seen weather that stable actually, and so hot. Mm. And I I think the same thing. I. You know, I those three days in the middle that were stormy and lots of rain, and you know, but in retrospect, they were for me at least a lot more fun because you could hike and fly and like piece it together and still make distance, and at least it was cool, so it was nice for walking. And then in that heat, yeah, it was just yeah. you you would hike, you know, two thousand five hundred meters and fly and not hear a single blip on your vario crazy (laughs) it's just unbelievable so yeah that was i agree that was that was a really tough time and Um, i think it's like it's special because you were thinking how over when we manage these three days so it's it looks better but then actually it was better uh than before i think this point was very hard to to for for our head i think yeah yeah i I agree um what was your biggest mistake of the race Mm, yeah i think the biggest mistake was in the end uh, maybe 80 or 90k before the goal i was trying to catch um, benoit and kuschelbauer Mm -hmm. to to fly straight or it was, it was one thing to 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 catch Benoit and and Kuschelbauer, but it was also for me the safer way. And I flew out uh, straight this valley, um, from Santiler, from uh, a little bit after uh, the last turn point, Schwalblasch, and the whole group flew um more in the south mm-hmm. so from there they managed to fly um closer to to pile 
Mm. And I flew out this valley and on the end, in the beginning was very good. It works well. And then I was, was thinking, oh yeah, it's, it's good. And then finally, when I got to the end of this, this valley, there was a big corner that the valley makes a big corner and there was a lot of wind, a lot of sea breeze that makes very stable. And so it was finished with the terminal and I had to land. Um, it was around 30 K before the goal. And the guys, they was uh, behind me. They took the route in the south and they overtook me. Um, it was Kaspar Pötio, Simon Oberauner and Manu Nübel. So um, I lost a few places, but for me, you know, it was a mistake, but not a really big mistake because it was when I managed to fly out uh, the whole of this valley, maybe the chance is here to catch um, Benoit and Guschelbauer. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give it a shot, don't you? you know, yeah, for sure. And I was thinking I want to try something other. Yeah. And it was also for me the safer way to, because the main goal was to reach Monaco. Yeah. So it was little bit that and now it's it was it was a mistake to to fly out this valley but yeah mm. that doesn't sound like too much of a mistake it just sounds like you were you know you were trying to do what what made sense yeah. and it didn't you know it, it's paragliding sometimes it doesn't work <laughs> yeah, exactly. and i think there are what there was a lot of small mistakes and but not big mistakes that we was on the end, maybe 50k, 50k behind uh, someone. It was just small, small mistakes that makes small um, difference, but with, with, um, with some points where he was very lucky, we managed to, to catch uh, or to make it better. Mm. Mm. And yeah. What was your what was your best day and what was your worst day? Mm, cool. Yeah, actually, when I looking back, one of the best day was was when we flew together to uh, where was that? Ashau. Yeah, that was yeah. great. It was in the beginning was very tricky, and then we meet us in the air, and so it's very nice to fly together. Yeah, that uh, was that was really fun and fun to, and easy, to, nice flying, wasn't it? It was yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> no wind. And I, I was thinking it it will be quite hard to 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 fly to Asho because this because of this Irish and wind. Yeah. But it was quite easy and yeah. It was really nice flying. And then the evening flight from from Kampenwand was really nice to fly um, um, to this Hochkönig. Yeah. I think Hochkönig and then direction to to um, yeah, to Kronplatz. Yeah. The worst day, maybe it was the, the last day because 
we went up to the takeoff. The, the weather forecast was looking uh, quite good. So the, the weather forecast said that uh, we have thermals uh, from 10.30, around 11 o'clock. Then we was on the takeoff at 10.30, and there was quite a lot of backwind. Mm. And we was waiting there maybe for two hours. Mm. And I <clears throat> I get quite nervous on the takeoff because I was thinking I have to fly. Um, otherwise, I didn't manage to, to reach Monaco. And then I took off, not with a good feeling, and I managed to to uh, to fly to Schwalblanche to the last turn point before Bile and then it was really hard to make the decisions where where I, where, um, where I have to go and which route I have to take and I was not very comfortable in the air I was thinking quite a lot what what should I do what is the best and this was for the head really um it was really tough for me if you could rewind the clock to this last year preparing for the race would you do anything differently than what you did knowing what you know now um, yeah maybe one thing that i will do a little bit different is to, to start earlier with with the long walks mm. um because i started with the first uh, long walks in March. Okay. And after the second one, I had um, some pain in my knees, and then I had to to rest or yeah to be very careful until the race start because of my knees that they recovered uh, as much as possible. So I think. For the next time, it will be better to to start earlier and maybe a little bit slower. Yeah. Um. With with these long walks to to be, I think there I can prepare uh, better. Yeah, you know, and, with my I have really bad knees, and uh, you know, Ben Ben mm -hmm. is my trainer. He organizes all of that, but he uh he really recommends you know a not running you know because running is just so hard on your body but also mm -hmm. you know, like we usually start kind of mid-september and you know it, the walks then are like 10k you know really short and they're not like mm -hmm. really fast you know they're they're short and they're mellow and uh mm -hmm. no pack mm -hmm. and then you just very slowly build up you know and i I, I have no, I have very bad knees, but I have no knee pain and I haven't had any knee pain in any of the races. So I, I think it's, mm, that's okay. a good, good idea to start, you know, and yeah. do a lot of the mobility stuff, rolling out on the balls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you do a lot of that, it just keeps the joints lubricated and the muscles supple, you know? Yeah. So, so Patrick, it sounds like, uh, you've already made this, this decision, but, uh, will you do it again? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say at the moment. And two days the the Eiger Tour, it's a hike and fly race here in the in the Alps, will start. And then there, I see how motivated I am 
car at the moment. And yeah, then after I will will see um, what's going on. And on the end of the year, I think I want to make the decision. And of course, when I do it again, I want to, to prepare um, same or a little bit more than, than this year. Uh, but at the moment, it's it's too early to to say something. Yeah. I ask you a question that I haven't the, with the others, but your your teammate and country mate, who I spoke to earlier today, uh, Kriegel. You know, once again, he uh, for me personally, I think everybody. He's so inspiring. He's so good at this, um, and once again, he proved just how good he has at this. I mean, I think he probably had the toughest competition he's had in his six races this time with Maxime breathing down his neck there for those first few days. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't see that it's possible that any of us can <laughs> can ever touch him. You know, somebody like yourself who's big and strong and young and, uh, you know, obviously really, really talented, obviously has much more of a chance than someone like me. But, uh, you know, do you see that uh, – can anybody take Kriegel? Mm, I think this year we, we saw with Maxim that he can follow Kriegel, but it was it's from the outside it was looking Kriegel is is like maybe in the comfort zone and, mm. and Maxim is pushing really hard. Mm. And yeah, I think Maxim will prepare also really hard and come back strong, stronger than this year. But yeah, Trickle has now so a lot of experience and he can stay so cool in in really important decisions. And I will say it's gonna it's will be really hard to to make it better than Crickland. At the moment, I don't know um, someone that can can make this. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Patrick, I, I wish you the very best at the Iger Tour. I was actually thinking about coming over and, and joining you guys, but I, I don't think <laughs> my feet are quite ready. I had the, that last <laughs> night of walking all night uh, – uh, in the heat was really, really damaged my, my mm. feet. They're fine now, but they're, uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I held up so fine for the race until that heat just sucked it out of me. But anyway, I'll be watching the, uh, the live tracking and wishing well on you guys and say hi to Michael for me. That looks like a terrific event. I hope to come over next summer and do it, but it was just awesome to fly with you day two. That was so much fun. And, uh, and it was awesome to watch you do so well in the race, but congratulations with getting to Monaco and, and, uh, I wish you all the best and I, I hope we get to share some thermals in the very near future. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Congratulations to you as well. Thank you. And yeah, from my side as well, it was, I really enjoyed the time to fly with you. It was really great. And I think we was a really good team, yeah. and together we managed to to fly to uh, to Aschau. It was really important there. Yeah, and yeah, sure. it will be great to see you uh, see you back here in the Alps. Awesome! I can't wait.
Eduardo Garza, Team Mexico won, coming off an awesome result in the 2018 X-Pier. He was a rookie this time and fought super tenaciously, came in right in the middle of the pack, which I know he was psyched about. He's got a great story about getting caught in a gust front. That's a little hair, hair raising for sure. Enjoy. Eduardo, hey, thanks for coming on the Mayhem. I really appreciate it. We got to spend a little time in Verbier right after the race, which was really special. We probably probably should have done it then rather than now when you're you're back in Boston and our lives are moving onwards. But I'm sure the race is still very fresh. And uh man, it was a good it was a good race with you and we were we were very close to each other quite a bit. And uh, congratulations, man. I I, uh, I know it w- for both of us would have been much more awesome to get to Monaco, but still a, a valiant and uh, epic effort, especially for your first one. And so, yeah, let's just start off with congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, it certainly was a, a race to remember for us. It was uh, difficult some days, a lot of fun other days, but the experience, the experience was amazing. And congratulations to you, too. You were pushing like a beast every single day. We're like, (laughs) how can we catch up to this guy? (laughs) Yeah, it was a beast mode was required in this one. God, it was the pace was incredible. I know I've I'm sorry, listeners. I keep saying that with every every uh, every athlete we've had on here. But man, it's been the pace was insane this year. It was. Yes, certainly it was. I think that was my my. Uh, biggest takeaway from the race: all the teams were really well prepared. Yeah. Everyone was pushing relentlessly every single day. If you hadn't done 30k by 10 a.m., you were falling behind. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, it was, it was impressive to watch. It was really incredible and uh, and hard those last days with the heat. Jesus, that was hot and and tough work. But I, I prefer the the stormy gust front you know thunderstorms any day and the rain and all that over that stuff at the end that was that was a brutal way at least for me to end i, I didn't like that stuff much yes exactly i i think i would go 50 50 <laughs> with that thunderstorms and heat just because you know at the at the xp actually uh uh we had most of the days at least my first time it was very very hot and really gets to you Mm. Uh, but you know, you just push through and yes, uh, it's going to be, going to be very difficult on the body, but on the thunderstorm side, we actually got in, in a few situations, uh, during this race that, um, were pretty gnarly mm. and yeah, so, uh, survival mode pretty much turns on. Yeah. 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 Well, tell, tell, tell everybody one of them, give, give, what was the worst? Well, the worst this time. And, and I was thinking about all the differences between the X-Pier and the X-Alps. Uh, you know, being in a thunderstorm is is bad anywhere. You know, it's sure. it's one of the worst case scenarios. And when a thunderstorm just appears on top of you, uh, you're trying to dodge the others and you say, yeah, I'm clear. But then one appears on top of you. It's gnarly anywhere. However, I think in the Alps is even more dangerous just because of the topography. Yeah, of course. You know, the thunderstorms. The yeah, the valley are, systems and everything. You just, man, they, they can get you from every angle. Exactly. And, and they can be channeled. So the air, the gospels are channeled, can be channeled towards you. And that's exactly what happened to us after tagging Lermos, going to Davos. Mm. You know, there's there's two valleys, right? One is the direct valley through Galtur. Yep. And the other one was the Squall Valley. So 
I believe that you took the Squall Valley and I was flying with Judah and he took the same route. They said, you know what? Next day might not be uh, that good for flying. So might as well take the direct route. Yeah. Well, that was a mistake because I went just to go through. We were at uh, uh, probably 22, 2300 meters. So I was planning to just do a glide and then walk the night and then early morning just fly into the bus. But what I hadn't realized is that the dark uh, end of the valley was approaching way too fast. So I said, well, I'll land, I'll just walk through the thunderstorm and then just, just continue my way. But uh, once I started getting lower in the valley, once I started getting to probably 2000 or 1500, I saw that my forward speed was decreasing rapidly. So from 50 kilometers an hour, went to 30 to 10 to zero, then to minus 20, then Ooh. to minus 40. Oh, I was going backwards man. at 40 kilometers an hour, pushing full bar. Oh, I, I, I remember looking down. I know it was, <laughs> it was one of those situations where uh, the race goes into, into lowest priority and you're in survival mode. Yeah, completely. of course. You know, I, I remember looking down and I said, huh, those bushes seem to be moving <laughs> a lot, but they were not bushes. They were 100-foot trees, you know. <sighs> so at that point, as my brain starts just trying to come up with ideas of, well, really not getting hurt. And the first thing that I think is um, just landing where I am. But then I see the trees bending just, just at my altitude. They were bending 45 degrees. I'm talking big, big trees. And there's no good landing zones in that valley because it's, it's so narrow and yeah. it's so full with houses. You know, there's, there's a lot of development. Uh, I even remember uh, flying on top of the street, probably 20, 30 meters above the street, trying to make a, a, a cycle landing happen. And there were cars stopped, people getting out of the car and just pulling out their phone. Just trying to record whatever was going to happen. I was like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I said, you know what? My only chance of getting out of this one without being in the morning news is getting high again and landing as high as possible, even if I had to go back 10 kilometers. So, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me what happened that day because you went forward then went back 10 kilometers and then you stayed there. Mm. Well, I, 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 it was not a lot of my choice. I was just going back because I couldn't penetrate. But uh, at this point, I was just trying to find any bridge or, or any rock that was jutting out into the valley flow so I could get up again. Mm. And I actually found it. There, there's like a bend on the valley. So I found this this huge spine that I could soar on, but I was soaring at 10 meters per second. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, man. <laughs> so I'm going up, up, up. And once I reach 2,500 meters or 2,600 meters, I think, the the forward speed starts increasing. But I know it's going to get worse because now I'm feeling the raindrops on my wing. And I start hearing them. You know, it's not, it's not a good sound. No. So I just turn back at that altitude and land at 2,600 meters. Uh, I don't remember the name of the mountain, uh, Wolfspitze, but it's the one 
that that it's pretty much at the beginning of Landic. Okay. So you can take the Squall route or you can take the Galtour route. So it's right right on the edge. So I landed, packed in five minutes and and just went and uh, get some shelter at the at the lift station because uh, it was getting early. It was the, the thunderstorm was approaching and uh, fortunately I was able to land fine and the most amazing thing happened afterwards though. So I'm there waiting for my team. There's this person who arrives and says, Oh, you Eduardo? He's like, Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Oh, I brought you some hot tea, some watermelon, some bananas, and some other food. I was wow. like, What? So people were watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the I, I think one of the coolest things in the race is that people are, you know, live tracking you. Yeah. And, and they just want to help. They just want to meet the athletes, you know? So that was super cool, actually. That's really cool. That's that's actually my last question. So we, we've done the you, – you've already answered the, the last one. Uh, yeah, good story, man. It's interesting, too, because the – you know, in my experience and the experience of the other, the other athletes I've spoken to who have done, you know, other races in the past as well, this was the mellowest of the races. You know, like wind-wise, weather-wise, it was just – it was, you know, for the most part, pretty tame, but there was these, you know, there were, there were a lot of thunderstorms in that middle section of the race, day four or five and six or whatever, five, six and seven, I guess that, uh, exactly. you know, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, it was mean, it was, it was grumpy. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people did get hit by that. And then, and then that always makes me think about, you know, this race in, in general and, you know, like the day, the day we got to crone plots, uh, and, you know, I top landed and relaunched immediately and it was really deteriorating fast, you know, and I was, I was, I was actually thinking about the people behind me thinking like, man, I would not want to be later than this. And because the North was still pretty good. And when I got back over the spine, it was, you know, like behind me, there was already lightning and lots of stuff dropping out. And, uh, and I thought, God, mm -hmm. you know, but, but if I was back there, I'd fly through it just like everybody else did, you know, but if you, if we were just flying, you know, you and I in the Rockies or anywhere in the world on a day like that, you'd go land and go swimming. <laughs> you know, oh, absolutely! You no, would never no do that, that. You know, it was, it's just... but, but you know what? <laughs> you, you were talking about the people behind you. Well, I think I saw you going to to Meyerhofen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was right. I was behind, and and I remember seeing Kromplatz from the distance. And I turned to my left, which is the east, and there's this wall of rain just yeah. coming down, just pouring. But then you have on the west sun feeding everything so it wasn't that bad from that perspective right. the problem was the darkness on the south so probably one kilometer or not even one kilometer probably 600 meters south of Kronplatz where the Dolomites really start it was just so dark so I said you know what I don't think it can get, it can get any worse than this <laughs> and then at that moment I just see lightning like hitting the rocks and super nasty. I was like, you know what? It can get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought to myself, I have to go there and land. I have to sign the board. And then I have to, to do a little chat. And then I have to launch. And then I have to huff it to, towards Innsbruck or towards Solden because the, the path towards Meyerhofen was actually now in rain by that point. So I was like, you know what? On a normal day, I wouldn't do this. Mm. I mean, I would see everything happening happen around me and I would go straight to land. But obviously, 
you're racing and number two you don't want to walk or hike more than you need so yes i guess the race really pushes you to to make that tough decision however i would have to say that while in the air i was at 3500 meters because the day was just exploding i looked at the radar and i saw that the thunderstorms would actually be uh, contained let's say south of Kronplatz. yeah so that's why i made the decision just to head land as quick as possible and then just get out as quick as possible just because the rain was going to be maintained and contained and also the thunderstorms from the south were, were going to be in the same place or moving from west to east i should say that's a good Not point north. to have that you know that i think that's one of the aspects that a lot of people with live tracking don't either see or know that we're utilizing as much as we are as the technology, you know, I mean, there, there wasn't any time in the race where I didn't have Revis, you know, a phone press away where I could, you know, literally like that, that day flying towards Davos, the one you were talking about, you got in the gust front and I chose Mm -hmm. the South line because the North line was, you know, clearly blowing up and it was a big sell over Davos and, you know, and he's looking at all these on the radar and the, you know, the hectopassels, whatever it is for the depth of how big these things are and just feeding me constant information in the, in the sky where I could, you know, I, I still did top land at one point just because I was like, dude, are you sure? Like, this looks bad, the stuff I'm <laughs> flying into. But, and he was like, yeah, you know, we're going to get ahead of you. And if it gets bad down here on the ground, we'll let you know. And you could slope land high. And so I kept forging on. And at one point he finally did, he was like, okay, now, you know, we had light wind and I would now classify the winds as dangerous and we're getting heavy raindrops okay. and, you know, you need to slope land. And, but it's, you know, that, that information that your team provides is just, or that you can just dial into in the air. If you're good at that stuff, like you are, then, you know, it's just so incredible that we have that at our fingertips and it's so, you know, you really need to use it. Well, Hey, that, that leads me to the first question, uh, really is what, you know, when you look back at the last year and, you know, you've done the XPIR twice, you and I have both have the same trainer and Ben Abruzzo as Willie did. And I think physically, that worked out really well for all three of us. Um, but what, if anything, did you underestimate? Underestimating. I think I should have spent more time in the Alps. Mm. You know, definitely. Mm. Uh, on the physical side, Ben, you know, he's, he's just amazing. He, he knows exactly what you need. And I never felt that I was out of shape for anything. Even getting to Switzerland and doing two monster hikes per day and then having to walk afterwards, it was a non-issue. At the end of the day, my body screamed, stop, (laughs) you know, you have to recover. So I, I, I I do feel that, uh, well, at night I was not able to move sometimes, but by the morning, you know, if you get good, good rest, at least from 12 to four, I mean, we woke up at four 30, at five o'clock, I was ready to go for another, you know, 50K. I think we averaged 48 kilometers um, mm-hmm. on the ground per day. So by the next morning, I was I was always fine. Mm. So physically, physically, I was fine. And kudos to, to Ben. He's awesome. Mm. Uh, on the flying side, on the X-Pier, for example, there is a very well-defined flying route. You can take some variants, but that won't be that significant, mm. you know. Mm. In the Alps, 
for example, flying from Eiger to Mont Blanc. There were so many routes. You could cross to the Sion Valley in Ardelboden, or you could just go to Martigny, or you could take the north route through Samoens. And it all depends on, on the weather and, well, if you really know the route or not. So that was our first time flying in that area. And, well, fortunately, we were able to, to devise a plan. Uh, and, and, well, you mentioned technology. This was a, a day with very strong west wind. So I was in communication constantly with my team just to see where the wind was less strong. And they gave me the perfect information. So they said, you know what, go through Chamonix. Instead of having 35 kilometers an hour at uh, 2,500 meters, you have half of that or less in Chamonix. So I made myself, you know, I, I, I just uh, went quickly to Chamonix and that worked perfectly. Um, but again, there's so many routes that you can follow. And if you are not... And that well versed in the area, it can be it can be very difficult. We spent two weeks scouting. Two weeks is nothing really. Yeah. If you want to scout a one thousand one hundred thirty eight kilometer route, uh, we scouted just due to the weather in May. Mostly it was France, so we scouted twenty percent of the race, but we were able to cover eighty percent, meaning that many of the areas were completely new to us. Uh- Eduardo, what was your biggest mistake? From a strategy point, I think that not flying, not flying early enough. My mistake, and, and that's all on me, because I sometimes decided to take lights and then hike up again when I should have waited mm-hmm. 30 more minutes or 45 more minutes for the day to start turning on and then slowly but surely make your way through the course. You know, this happened when we were crossing uh, the Crimel Pass. Mm. That day turned on at probably 9.30 a.m. And at 8.45, close to 9, I was doing a glide to where I, I think you were there. We were in Hoi Salve, and I glided south, like towards the Vilkohl. And I was on the ground, and I start seeing these clouds just pop everywhere and very high it's like oh my goodness this is gonna be another speed hike of uh 1500 meter in in ascent and five kilometer total so uh i was late Uh, i didn't start at 10 30 for example or 10 o'clock i started at 11 30 close to 12 Mm. and that's why we got in problems and crumplet so yeah you missed 40 you put 40k on the table there and that really hurt best day worst day one of the last days when we flew from uh, Lenk and we got to uh, close to Albertville, close to Guinea uh, on our tours, on our way towards uh, Saint Hilaire. That was, that was actually a pretty good flight because the wind was so strong. I was with Judah Corey and he has a bigger glider and he was able to penetrate and take a route north. I couldn't follow him. It's like, you know what? This is not going to work for me. I'm going to sink out. I have to figure it out. So I started going to the big ridges on the south. So I was shielding myself from the wind on the big ridges and, and pretty much just flying the lee all day. Mm-hmm. And I get to this area. I had never flown the, the area of the Diablerette. The, the so I get to this, uh, to this huge ball. It was just amazing, amazing ball where I said, you know what? 
let me go back, let me take a few pictures and then continue the course because it was <laughs> so awesome. Uh, and then we flew through Chamonix and, and landed in Uguine and then we started walking. Uh, but those two days, definitely the best, uh, worst day. You know, we didn't have uh, a bad day per se, but I would have to say that they were the thunderstorm in Galtour, mm. just because, well, we lost 10 kilometers that we had done forward, then we had to go back, and then I couldn't move because the thunderstorm was on top of us. So I lost, or we lost probably 40 kilometers uh, just because of that thunderstorm. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it sucks to get pinned. I got really pinned in 2017 and uh, bombed out leaving Lermoose and hiked up in the best part of the day and we, I, we knew it was going to OD. And by the time I got to the top, uh, my, my team was out of cell network and they couldn't find me a launch. Uh, they were stuck in the mud. And so I, I, I had two choices. I could go left or I could go right. And we knew there was a launch up there because it's all treed on top of that. That's, that's that kind of Island above Imst and, uh, under the airspace right, right. there. And I, we, we knew there was a launch up there because Toma had used it in front of us and I, I could have turned right or left and I went left and the launch was to the right. And so by the time I got mm. high enough to get up kind of above the trees where there was kind of a launch, it was already ODing and dumping on me. And so I had to run back down to the hut, had a wonderful night in the hut and drinking beer and, you know, and had a good feed and had a great sleep, but you know, it was 10 <laughs> hours of no movement. And, uh, I just these days in the race you can't your race is over you're done if you do that you know you just you just can't get yes, pinned exactly. anymore you know you just got to keep moving mm -hmm. and I almost got pinned this time on top of Titlis you know we had like a two minute window that opened up between a snowstorm and I was able to punch out but if I hadn't been you know it, the guys in front of me would have gotten 50k on me and so yeah it's yeah the the pace is intense well you you've already answered if you prepared differently what would you what would you do you, you'd scout so I'll just jump to the next one uh will you do it again <laughs> excellent question <Gary>. um, <laughs> it's the obvious one it's the one everybody know, asks but it, the answers have been I, interesting I know. <laughs> I know it's uh let, let me just forget about the pain <laughs> because you know and, and, and I know you know this but there's no worse thing than getting up at 4 30 a.m knowing that ahead of you is a day with only rain and you have to walk 70 kilometers and you're going to be wet, you're going to be cold and you just have to do it. You know, it's, it's a lot of pain. It's, it, it takes, takes a lot from you just to dig deep and find the motivation to actually yeah. do it, you know, yeah. uh, which is also a thing that I'm, I'm proud of the team because we always pushed that we never gave up. We, we were pushing as hard as we could. So we have, Definitely no regrets in terms of uh, we left it all there. You know, we, we gave it our all, and that was the result that we got in the end. Mm. You know, so let me just forget about the pain, and then I can answer that question a little bit better. But, um, you know, it's also a lot of money and time, mostly if you're coming from America. Yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, plane tickets. Uh, then you have you have to stay somewhere, you know, and then all the rentals because you obviously don't have a van over there, but you have to rent everything. So it's it's a big expense. I would need to find a bigger sponsor. It's a very cool race. It's 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 an amazing experience, but it's a a, a question that I need more time to answer. Yeah, I find that there's kind of a hole in 
in life that is hard to fill after the X Ops. And I felt the exact same way after the last two as well. But, you know, there's so much preparation and training and anticipation and planning and laughs with the team and just everything. I mean, and also just there is something very special about being supported by your team for that period of time where, you know, your whole job is just to go as hard as you can. And they think, you know, and, and, and I don't know, it's like, the, it's a camaraderie that I don't easily find in, you know, in regular life. Uh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining by any means. I'm just, it, it's just, it's very intense and it's not just the race. It's very intense for a long time before the race. Uh, and then it just ends, you know, and, and in our case, it ends in a weird place. Uh, I, in, in fact, Ending in Monaco was the worst because, you know, I, I, I have said over and over again how much I hate that place. But, you end, you know, you've just flown through the most amazing scenery in the world, really, uh, in a lot of ways and had this incredible experience. And you end in this concrete jungle and you fly down to the raft and, uh, and there's not one person there. I mean, there's no fans. There's mm. nothing. There's nothing. It's, it's we're a very weird ending there. Uh, in some ways I'd rather end where we, of course you'd rather end in Monaco than where we did, but you know, ending at cold to Lazard with just my team. And there's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very strange thing. You just at 12 o'clock it's done and you're, you go away and it's over. Yeah. Now you can actually get in a car and, and, <laughs> and act like a normal person. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what advice would you have for, someone because you were a rookie this year and you you know you were obviously building up to this i know you applied in 2017 uh didn't get in and you know but you had these two really successful xpeer campaigns behind you and i'm sure that really weighed heavily on the selection committee to you know for this time but um what advice would you give either just like to get in the race or just you know to prepare for something like this for all the people who watch that you know are inspired and start thinking you know maybe it's something I'd like to do You know you mentioned the 2017 the time that uh, I applied and didn't get in um I think it was a good decision from the organization because I don't think I was prepared enough mm -hmm. I had to get more hiking fly races under my belt to even think in uh, tackling this magnitude of an event. And right now I, I feel that I was ready and, and that's why we're able to push and uh, keep up with very, very good teams. But in 2017, uh, I, I wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. because I, I was just not prepared. I mean, we had done the 2016 XPR, uh, but uh, the team logistics, just the flying um, aspect of it, you know, always land land high. If you have serious, just land high and wait for it, and it opens up and you keep going. I mean, that wasn't something that I had developed or, or at least understood that well. Mm. So I needed the next XPR, the 2018 XPR, to, to really see how the teams work. For example, we were flying a lot with uh, Nelson de Freeman. He obviously knows what he's doing. He's done the X-Alps twice, and we were flying the whole route in the XPR together. And it was, uh, it was a very good experience, learning experience for me. So now I said, you know what? Now I think I'm prepared for the X-Alps. Because if you try to make the X-Alps your first race, it will be overwhelming. Yeah. It's, 
it's a big undertaking. Uh, you better get the logistics, better get in, in, in the mind mindset that a hiking flyer race is with a shorter race. It can be a two-day race. Uh, it can be a three-day or, or the X-Pier, which it's still an undertaking, but it's not two weeks or 11 days. It's only seven days. So that would be my advice. Uh, what is, compare the ma- – give, give it to me on a scale. What's the magnitude of the X-Pier versus the X-Alps? You know, like is it is it 50, 100? Is it 70, 100? Is it 10, 100? Uh, on the X-Pier, I would say it's like 60 to 100, let's say. Okay. Just, and I'm going by length and, and also by – the size of the mountains you actually have to hike mm. in order to get to a launch on the X-Pier, you don't have to always hike 1500 meters to thousand meters. I mean, there are lower launches just because, you know, the, mm. the height of the mountains is, uh, normally that highest is around 3000, but everything else around 2000, 2500. Mm. So in, in terms of, uh, physical exertion, I would say, uh, 60 to hundred. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and great advice. I think, and several of others have have uh, you know chimed in on that as well. That it's yeah. I think I think the other thing that maybe uh, Nick Nainan said it interesting. He said that you know the if you just apply for the X Alps to see you know like just to get the experience of applying, but then you get in and you're not really ready, then that might be your only chance. You know, you you actually. They are very selective. If you don't do pretty well, you know, we, you're, you, you get the ax, then you're not going to get the invite back. And, uh, you know, so I, I think you really do, you want to, you want to wait to apply when you're ready. Eduardo, that's it, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, answering these questions and sharing your experience. And again, congratulations. And I do hope you'll do it again because you are uh, a fierce competitor <laughs> and I think you're just warming up and uh, you're obviously fit as a fiddle. And uh, so, yeah, I hope you I hope you keep pushing and I hope we see you back in 2021. I hope I'm smart and I'll be watching you that time this time. <laughs> do it myself, but we shall see. But thanks, Eduardo. Uh, thank you very much, Gavin. And finally, of course, we'll, we'll save the best for last. Kriegel, this was his sixth win. Unbelievable. Just I say this, I think, in the interview over and over again, completely inspiring. He is truly at, an, at a totally new level. Maxime certainly gave him the hardest run I think he's had yet in his six wins, but still way out there in front and still incredible to watch. Uh, just, not, just nothing to say, but awesome. Enjoy Kriegel. Kriegel, thanks so much for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your thoughts. I thought this would be really fun to ask a bunch of the teams the kind of the same questions while it's still very fresh. It's been a little over a week now since you won your incredible sixth Red Bull x Alps. Uh, just remarkable, man. It, it's really it's really exciting to watch you operate in the mountains and very inspiring and always incredibly humbling. But so first off, just congratulations. Was Was this – uh, any more special than the other wins, or is it just chalking a, chalking another one up? Yeah, thank you very much, Kevin, and uh, congratulations to you. Thank it was you. a hard uh, hard week for all the athletes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Also for me, but because um, 
yeah, it was a long distance. There was uh, many turn points to, to sign. And finally, I, we was lucky with the weather. Or for me, it was uh, more easy than other editions because it was less wind, no fern, not too much thunderstorm. So it felt more safe at, uh, at the all. And for me, it was uh, some days, it was really a pleasure because uh, crossing the main ridge, the Alps by flywise, it's, uh, it's always uh, oh, more special. easy and uh, excited. So um, for me, it was, it was the goal to, to win for sure, but to also to have the safe moves. I mean, to, to have always smart and good decisions and to move on with the safe um, character. So uh, finally, I reached Monaco with all this and um, it makes me very proud to, to end a hard race, a hard adventure without any problems with a healthy body. And that makes me very happy. And I think it's uh, it's the best one ever I did. I was just going to say, is this, was this your favorite win? Yeah, for sure. It was the plan, but it's, uh, it's always different in an adventure. Yeah. So I remember 2017, for example, I want to save. And after the first day, when I cover 80 K on the road, my knee was damaged. So I got the injury where I not, uh, get in, in control until Monaco. So the, the knee was was all day painful and uh, mm. not, that was not not the fun. And on the end, I say, okay, I end a hard race, but my knee is is, uh, is in the problem. It needs uh, seven weeks recovery, so it was not so so the best one. And this year, it's uh, I was really careful with my body. I was really have uh, my team which controlled me, and uh, finally with these rules and this checklist. I was able to manage all day safe, and uh, it makes me very happy. What was this? You know, I, in in some ways, I mean, you're always out in front, and it, it, you're always very difficult, if not impossible, to catch for the others. But in some ways, um, I, I felt like, you know, again, and this is just from when I was walking, I could watch a little bit of the tracking and stuff, but um, it, it seemed like you had to fight harder in this one than in previous editions. Was was this the hardest one to win? I mean, in the end, you were still quite a ways out in front of Maxime, but he put up a pretty good fight. Did very good, and he's a, a really good athlete. I know him from the PWC. He's a very excellent um, flyer. It means he can fly alone, find the best core in the terminal to, to have a good climb. And he's very smart as well. So uh, my tactic was to fly uh, until Switzerland to to make the, for me, difficult turn point, the titlis. And after we will see uh, if I can improve or not. So I was quite relaxed. So when he was with me or in front of me, for me, it was okay because of this tactic. And finally, when I made this turn point flywise in, uh, in day four, I felt a big uh, help because uh, he was stuck in the cloud or because of a thunderstorm. He uh, was not so fast at this moment. So I was maybe in Davos, I was maybe 45 minutes in the lead. And on the end, it was almost one day. So this uh, day four, when I could land on the titlist, it was really a, a, a pre-decision and for me a, a big help to to stay relaxed. Mm. 
I did a podcast with Patrick um, just a few weeks before the race, and he was telling me about the the kind of academy, like the XOPS Academy that you've started, and you've got some you know pilots like him, and uh, I think one of his supporters I think is also really solid. Uh, what are the kind of the what are the kind of the main things that you're trying to pass along to these these younger XOPS pilots that that really make a difference in the race? You know, what what are the what are the kind of you know what are the what are the things you put up on the chalkboard? Like, hey, this is what you really like. For example, he he mentioned that you know one of the things that you talk about in the academy is that you know the little things add up. You know, so the speed that you pack your glider and the the if you get another 500 meters in your in the little flights and the little glides then over the course of 10 days you know it really adds up and i was thinking about that during the race like i i really spent quite a bit of time this time learning to pack my glider fast but very often when i would unpack the glider i'd have like a little tangle or a little th- like it was just you know, <laughs> slowing me down little, you know, little, 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 you know, like one time, uh, Patrick and I launched at the same time in Ashow, and, you know, he was in the air five minutes before I was from almost the same place because I was farting around mm-hmm. with my glider. And I thought, gosh, this is just one little part of my game where I really need to refine. And by the end of the race, you know, I'd figured it out. I just wasn't putting my lines <laughs> back correctly, but what are things like that, that, you know, in your mind, like if you could, advise the community, maybe the people that are thinking about someday doing the XOPS, what what yeah. what are the things that you're obviously doing better than everybody else? Yeah, first of all, I, I really like to share my experience to other pilots. They like this uh, adventure races. I mean, it's not only XOPS, it's all about the year. They are uh, hiking flag competitions. And I think there is a, a good community in uh, enduring sport like marathon or in uh, flying like uh, swiss league or all the leagues in the in the countries but there is no really um uh, something to learn about hike and fly mm. so with my sponsor teamwork we started this xalps academy uh, one and a half year ago and the goal was really to to motivate and to to share the experience with uh Young pilots, they like this style of hike and play competitions. And for sure, there was a goal to have young pilots in the future in the X-Alps. So with Patrick, he was a bit lucky because he was very good in flying already. And so there was a one year of uh, working together to share the experience, to to have a look of all the details of uh, the important um, things of strategy, of teams, team settings, everything like this. And I think with this um, work, he was very fast, quite well prepared. So when I needed, um, for example, two editions of XOPS, he was ready in one year. And Mm -hmm. I think it's also for the future, uh, a very good tool to to have, uh, to share all the experience under all the athletes and um, to, to come better and better. In this in this specific um, discipline, I think. Mm. What what if anything could you change? You know, you and I and Tom were on that kind of athlete committee that you put together, which I think was was a really good idea. Um, what if anything, maybe in retrospect, you know, looking back at this race, uh, if you could 
if you were Ulrich and you were at the command, what would you change about the race that would either make it better or more fun to watch or more competitive potentially? Yeah, for me, it looks it looks really that the turn points um, they fix the route ex- extremely, and uh, it, it, it's not uh, it's more an uh, a media event. Uh, it pushes the turn points, but not the the interesting of the routes. So. Mm. Um, I prefer one or two turn points to have a different options in between. Mm, yeah. uh, in generally, uh, I think there are two, two uh, things. Um, one is the competition characteristic. So for, for the competition, you have to remove turn points. And there is the, the, the organizer, they have the idea for a good event, for a sure. media event. Sure. And for also to make it more um, sellable or more visible for the for the fans, and for this, I think it's the opposite. You have to do more turn points, but this turn points you have to do more attractive. It means if there is like uh, in the cycling to the France, for example, you have daily r- uh, runs, and then you have a start and a goal. And maybe if if you do uh, an adventure race with um, maybe three day races, it means cover two hundred k, and then have a stop, and then the next day you have a restart. Yeah, all that leads together. It makes it more attractive for the turn points. I mean, because there is a, a, a arriving of the athlete, then the athletes they stay there for maybe one day. They have time, so all the fans they can visit and they can have a talk for selfies and these things. And then you have a restart at the next day. And then mm, all the athletes idea. start together. And, and then it's a, a new race, a new, uh, yeah. for all of them, they have a new motivation because they can't stay in front again. And I, I think it. it would be also more difficult to me to, to be in front because we thought that when, when we are together, the others, they can do exact, exact the same and they can do flying well. They, they hike well. Uh, I think my, my strong point is to, to find the, the, the route, the best route depends on the weather when I stay alone. Well, that's a good idea. Uh, I really like uh, that idea. Um, yeah. any other, any other ideas like that uh, along those lines to, to improve it? Mm. There is also the question about safety, mm. and um, I feel that that um, the the biggest problem is the the tiredness. So, uh, if we could have more sleep, for sure, it's less extreme, extreme yeah. ex- uh, less hard adventure race, but it makes it more safe. I think for all the teams, mm. and um, for example, we have this two or three days race, and then it's one day rest, yeah, and then a restart. It will help a lot also for the safety because, um, yeah, if you have a rest, you can think about uh, something else. You can re- recover your head and your body. And um, maybe this is also an important part. But on the other side, it's it's good to have a start. And who is first in, in the Mediterranean Sea? Uh, yeah, for me, it's it's both options. But mm. on the end, I think the X-Alps, it's also... Uh, it's it's a unique race and it's for ten times or now for nine times it was similar. It was very similar, but but now maybe for the tenth edition it's it's good to have a change. Yeah. 
what, if anything, I can't imagine you underestimate anything, but, uh, you know, you've done it, you've won six times now, but, uh, looking back at this race, did you underestimate anything, anything you would have done differently? <laughs> yeah, it was very close to the perfect one, but for sure I had some, some, um, bad luck also, uh, for example, before Lermos, um, I was pushing too much and I, I had to, I, I bomb out. So I had to walk up for another hour. So that's also the reason Maxim could, um, catch up a 20 K, uh, delay. So this for sure was, was, um, over motivation or too much pushing. So this, this, um, I will be safe or yeah, do it better. Mm. And on the other side, it was always difficult to find a good solution depends of the weather. Mm. So in, in after the race, you always, um, stay more, more smart. So now it's easy to say on which place I have to push or to wait. But in generally the, the strategy we have with the, with the team, it was perfect. And, um, I would say I, I tried to have a same in two years. I was going to say you, your, your team changed quite a bit this year. You had the same support you did in the X pier, uh, this, this last year, but, um, is, has that been a big thing for you to adjust to? Uh, has that been hard or was it pretty easy to, you know, from all the experience to train up a new team? Mm, for sure. It was, it was new. And we was a bit unlucky in the, in the spring with the weather and with, uh, with the, with the competitions we like to do. And there was canceling a border race and my other supporter, we planned to, that he come, he had an accident. So he had to switch um, two weeks before the race, uh, one person. So it was not too easy. It was, um, quite hard and we had to learn in during the race, how it works best. But um, in generally, it helped me also to stay motivated, to work with them, to to feel what what are the strengths of each person. So it was also good to have a new experience and a new motivation for the race. Hmm. How much how much of the race do you put in in their hands? Like for example, when you land or like that day you bombed out uh, going to Lermus, are they are they totally in charge of your route and the next place you launch? You know, they're the ones doing Google Earth and the Medio and the weather and and everything. And you're just, you know, you pack your glider and you go. Or are you really involved in those decisions as well? The the main strategy was that the team um, bring all in the camper one or in the e-tron. I mean uh, the car, and they bring me this as soon as possible to my landing if I like uh, support and the other part was that they always, um, have a control over the race to, to share, uh, informations like weather, new weather forecasts, um, new informations from the, from the organization, all these communication parts was very important. And also when I, when I, uh, plan the next day that I, uh, think with me that they give me, um, new route, new ideas. So I can choose the best for me. And, uh, like this, it, it works, was, uh, uh, working together, but I always, on the end, I always take the decision 
what I like to do. Mm. What was your your best day and your worst day? <laughs> mm. yeah, I, it always feels very good when I can do, cover a big distance. I mean, when I flew all the way to Titlis, because Titlis for me was the worst or the most difficult turn point. I top landed and I flew down, so it felt very good. Mm. Um, maybe it was was just a good flying day, but in the end, I covered a difficult part and it felt uh, us uh, or it felt felt like I did uh, very good. And the worst one was um, maybe when I cross at home, um, my my place I know very well, and I was expecting uh, easy easy going, and it was the hardest day. I covered 5,400 meter uphill and on the end I was flying in the rain. My glider was totally wet and uh, we stopped at nine in a camping um, because I was looking for a room to dry my wing and we stopped already at nine and my glider, my gear was completely wet. Also the reserve I have to put out and drying. And when we eat then dinner at 10, um, I felt not too good because uh, I covered almost nothing <laughs> and my gear was wet and uh, I was totally uh, over because 5,400 meters, it makes me very tired. And so it's, it's, it's totally strange, you know, the, the, the feeling about a good and a bad day. <laughs> um, your your preparation is famous uh, for these races and i think you i even saw somewhere that you were more fit for this one than in any previous edition which we all got to see in in the prologue uh i never felt that you in the previous prologues that i've done with you i, I think you were pretty casual about them but clearly this time you were you were really <laughs> gunning for it and to get that s second uh, position and 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 fat i mean benoit and maxime are fast and and that was a breakneck pace for a prologue i mean i think we were all really fast that day but if you could yeah. if you in the last you know I, I know you're always preparing you always say as soon as you're done with this one you're preparing for the next but um if you could prepare differently for this specific race when you look back at the last year what would it what would you change if anything mm, it was quite good because of uh, a lot of power training in gym during the winter and I never stopped really because uh, I realized that it's very important for the body to have a good shape in muscle. So the legs have to be very strong. And I, I did once in a week um, gym until the start. So, and during training, I did a lot of ski touring, also ski touring races to, to have a base, a good base. And then in spring, I start to run. And this also was quite good maybe for a next edition i tried to have more competition i mean flying competition close before the start from the exams because this year i was not planning really the competitions and um, finally the weather was not too good to fly cross country and at the start i not have the best feeling about my flying skills and um so it's always a, a, a question of time. So spending more time for the physical training or for the flying training. But the next time I try to have in the winter, spring, more spring training and then focus on flying and to have more flying competitions to really be ready 
uh, at, at the race start. And when you say flying competitions, you're not talking like World Cups and stuff. You're talking like hike and fly competitions. Or both? Yeah, both. Maybe both. Also, also World Cup because okay. in the World Cup, you really learn or you get the feeling to fly fast, mm. to fly uh, just uh, straight and just keep the or take the best um, thermals. And this gives you a good average speed in the hike and fly too. One of the things, Kriegel, I'm, I'm finding tricky, and this might just be unique to me, but I, I kind of doubt it. Um, you've got a couple kids, and you know, I have my little daughter that I had right after the last race. Um, age is certainly a component. I think I've got more than 10 years on you here, but the, um, the balance I find tricky uh, because the race requires – at least my approach, because I'm older and I have quite bad knees, I, I really have to train hard physically for this mm. race. I really put a lot of effort into that because uh, I, I know it will pay off uh, and I don't want to end the race because of my knee or something. So, um, But it's also so much time and so much preparation. I, my next question is actually, will you do it again uh, for everybody else? Obviously, you will, so I don't need to ask that. But um, – are you finding that, you know, difficult to balance with your kids? You know, the, you know, the, obviously they know this is who you are and this is what you do. But, um, you know, it's not just the X Alps that you do. You're doing a lot of the other ones as well. And like the X Pier, mm -hmm. these are, they're all big commitments. And I'm finding, you know, my, where I am right now is like, gosh, I just don't know if I can put that kind of time in and also be, you know, a good dad. Um, are you mm. finding that tricky time or hard or how, and if, and if so, how are you balancing it? Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I, I feel very comfortable because I'm self, self-employment and, um, flying is my life. So as long as I can cover my life for my family, uh, with flying, I'm very proud mm. and I, I feel also still motivated to train. It means it's not a. Uh, it, it's not a must to train. It's a, it's a gift, mm. and I can share my experience during the training with other people, with friends, and uh, I, I set some some competitions for sure because it's also fun and it, it's um it's the game for for gain more uh, media work. It means um, every article I can pr um, generate with the competition. It's uh, good for my sponsors. And uh, so I, I have to find the balance between family training and the competitions. Mm. And um, as long as I, I feel good, it means that, that my body works well. I like to do this. And so if next year I find a, a good adventure, I do this. Maybe it's XP again because the Pyrenees I really like. And uh, then I hope to be ready in 2021 for, for the Alps again because. Uh, uh, working with the young pilots, um, prepare them um, with the XLT Academy. It's also a good motivation. And when I feel the motivation of them, they push me. They 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 like to do better than me. Maybe I, I can be better than now. Hmm. What advice would you have for you know millions of people watch the race and they watch the live tracking and you know there's lots of good pilots in the world and they get quite inspired by what they see. Um, what main bits of advice would you give to someone who's thinking about doing the X Alps? 
Mm, it's it's uh, it's more than a competition. Um, if you like to do a competition, you better go to to other competitions because the X Alps is an adventure. It needs a lot of preparation um, for the logistic with the team. It it um, it's also hard to work with the media. If you do this the first time and working with all this media, maybe it's uh, it's more hard than in a competition. <laughs> and finally, it's also quite long because uh, ten days. It um, maybe the first two days it's fun and then it starts to be hard and on the end it's really a fight. And uh, if you like this, you can do. If you not really like, <laughs> better stay in a in a shorter competition to enjoy. Mm. This is my experience, but for me, it, generally, it's it's um, it, it gives me a, a good motivation for the life. Mm. You know, if if I have X Alps project, I know it uh, starts in, for example, one year. Uh, I can have daily motivation for my training. I can optimize my equipment. I can have a good time with my team and in the end it's it's just this 10 day race where i have the test where i have the the, the work i think and uh, for me it's um it's it's more from the preparation time than from the uh, competition at all mm. what what how, what how does your I haven't had this of the others, but it's just something I'm feeling right now. I have felt in this race and the last two as well that, you know, the gift and the opportunity of training for something like this and the time and the anticipation. And I, I love, I love it. The, the whole process is, is really just, you know, there's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's consuming. It's fun. It's, you know, you get to, you basically get to focus on your health for a year, you know? So, you know, what, what better thing yeah. could there be? And then you have this experience, yeah. which is like mind blowing and, and it's difficult <laughs> and it's fun and it's fast, fascinating. And it's, you have the laugh. I mean, I, I never laugh so hard as I do with my team and the X ops. I mean, we just have a really, really good time right. and then it's over. Yeah. Um, and both the, in 2015 and 2017, and then this time it's over and, you know, you, you have this elation and exhaustion and, you know, all the things that people can imagine you will have, but you also, for me, it's, it's also a really hard time. There's like a, you know, it's, it's like coming down off some really, really good high, (laughs) um, and it's how, I mean, you're, you're used to it. You've now done that six times and you've done all these other races, but do you experience that? Is the, are these weeks post the X Alps? Uh, I mean, for me, they're the hardest weeks because there's, you yeah. know, I, I don't know what to do with myself in a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. It's uh, for me, the whole project, it, it looks like, uh, when I do the, we are visualization, it's like a pyramid. So mm. the, the peak of the, of the pyramid it's the, the X Alps and everything comes together. And after I am the top and the only thing I can do is to fall down. Mm. So after the X Alps race, it feels like staying in a hole. <laughs> everything is dark and no motivation. The body is tired. Uh, there is no power left to do something else. Yeah. And on the beginning uh, in 2009 and 11, it felt very, very hard this first three, four weeks after the race. And now I did a, a clear, uh, 
timetable, what I do after the race, because this helped me to stay focused. So mm. it means um, the first week I do holiday with my boys, then uh, I start a little bit of training again. And now I have some competitions um, like the Eiger Tour, for example. And it gives me new motivation and new focus. And this I really need to not stay in this hole and do yeah. nothing. Yeah. Because as you said, it's, it's the, the preparation period close to the race. And then the race, it's the, the most uh, intense days in the year. And um, to feel all this, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's great. But after it, it goes on and then you have to be prepared for this. Kriegel, thank you very much. As always, I really appreciate your time, your openness. It was great to have those chats with you before the race. And uh, God, man, it's it's really it really is awesome to watch you work, and it really is inspiring. So, congratulations on your sixth win of the X Alps. I know there are more in your future, and uh, you know, hope hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thank you very much for you, for call and for your interest, and uh, yeah, see you soon. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing. A lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you